1: everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us.
0: So we had stumbled upon um, this threat actor team in September when we saw a number of very similar tactics being used, which were very different than what we were used to as we were just, you know, coming off the ransomware wave, um, where they were behaving differently.
1: That's Robert Boyce. He's global lead of Cyber incident Response and Transformation Services at Accenture Security. The research we're discussing today is titled Karakurt Rises from Its Lair. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms fed cyber. That's aka.ms fed cyber.
0: And we just started to put some pieces together as we were doing our investigations global coordination. And and we found there was a lot of similarities. And so we just started digging into it a little bit more. And then, of course, we uncovered Karakur as as their self-proclaimed name and and just started seeing some really interesting tactics that this group was using, which was very different than um, some of the traditional ransomware threat actors.
1: So what are some of the things that set Karakur apart?
0: So a couple of things that we find very interesting. This group tries to limit the use of malware as much as possible um, and they're not really in the business of destructive events. They're really more in there to quickly uh, get in and exfiltrate data and then extort the victims with the data theft as opposed to um, you know launching a ransomware attack and, and causing business disruption.
1: Any uh, speculation on who is behind this?
0: No, that's really interesting. We haven't had enough intelligence yet to be able to really do attribution um, more than you know what their own um, self-proclaimed name is and, and some of the tactics that they've been using. And who do they seem to be targeting here? Yeah, so they're targeting more of the small to medium-sized businesses or subsidiaries to large enterprises. They're not really going after the big game hunting that we've seen some other threat groups go after.
1: And so suppose uh, you find yourself falling victim to these folks. Uh, By what means are they getting into your organization?
0: Yeah, so they're they're getting in really through credentials. and uh, We don't yet have enough intelligence to know how they're obtaining the credentials, um, but they're leveraging credentials through uh, VPN access, almost exclusively of what we've seen so far, at least the cases that we have worked. And all, of course, all of those VPN devices do not have two-factor authentication installed. Um, so it's making it quite easy for them to be successful in their uh, initial uh, intrusion.
1: So they get in, uh, as you said. They, they get in. They they get the data that they want to grab. They get out. What happens next?
0: Well, then they start reaching out to the victims and start pressuring them, uh, extorting them for not disclosing the data. And what's also interesting about these guys is that they contact the victim in multiple ways. Right. So they will, of course, leave. The you know, the evidence on a machine, or they will uh, reach out via email, or they may even go back in and remind them. You know, we've actually seen them even leave a, a note file on a desktop that says your EDR will not save you. Um, so they really try and apply a lot of pressure to the victims through you know multiple forms of communication.
1: And do they seem to be having success here? Has there been any uh, way to track whether people are making payments? It's hard to
0: say. I mean, they they've mentioned that they've um, on their site compromised over forty victims uh, and growing, and they have been disclosing, you know, following through with their threat of disclosing data um, for victims who haven't been paying. So we've seen that. So you could probably do some simple math of of taking a look of how many you know victims they say they've had and how many disclosures they've had, and maybe you know have a rough idea of how many people may be paying them. But we haven't done that analysis.
1: What level of sophistication do you suppose we're dealing with with this particular group
0: yeah i, I it's hard to say like they're they're really in it for the short term wins and so as I said they're you know they're they're leveraging uh, known credentials uh, targeting. You know, um, vulnerable systems that don't have the added protection of two-factor. Um, they're using a lot of really living off the land techniques to try and avoid detection. So they're, as I was mentioning before, they're, they're not really looking at leveraging known malware. We we have seen them use Cobalt Strike. We have seen them use Mimi Cats. But it's more in an instance of maybe when they get stuck because uh, they're trying to leverage their. Um, You know, the the credentials and the applications that are available to them inside the organization to move laterally and to then execute their mission of exfiltrating data. So it's it's really hard to say uh, the sophistication of the team because they're using such basic methods to be successful.
1: And so what are your recommendations then for organizations to best protect themselves?
0: Yeah, this is a funny one. It's something we've been saying for, I don't know, 20 years at least. Uh, You know, patch your systems, turn on two-factor authentication. You know, just just the basic security IT hygiene would really help, you know, organizations avoid, um, you know, visit from this threat actor for sure. Um, And, you know, and and as we were saying earlier, they they are targeting small to medium-sized organizations, which probably often overlook these very basic security protocols.
1: Yeah, it really seems like they're a, an opportunistic group.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really interesting the the difference of you know when we were just before this happened because this we 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 saw them stand themselves up in uh, June you know start registering their domains get their social media ready in August and then really we started seeing a cluster of activity in September moving forward to the end of the year even even this morning I, I was I received another notification from a client looking for help for this exact team and um, but prior to that we were dealing with these you know larger destructive events that were making a lot of media headlines and, and it seems that this team has really tried to avoid not like play it under the radar, but also avoid attribution, right? And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, these are you know best guesses, but you know, as we saw the large ransomware events early in the year, we started seeing a lot more law enforcement engagement, and that law enforcement engagement, of course, um, led to some of the OFAC sanctions and having some threat actors on that list. And and when this team avoids malware and doesn't use malware, it's very, it's much harder for us to be able to perform attribution right? And it also takes a target off their back um, when they're not having business disruption from being targeted by law enforcement. And of course, it makes it easier for the victims to pay if they don't appear on the OFAC list, or if we're not able to provide attribution to them to determine that they would be on the OFAC list. So, um, you know, it's a a really interesting tactic.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, I've wondered... uh... Sometimes if we need a category, we could call like nuisance wear, you know, yes. <laughs> where it's, it's not terribly destructive. It's a bit of a time suck. It's not, it's not going to be cripplingly expensive. Uh So, you know, you, you pay your fee and, and everybody goes on with life.
0: Yeah, correct. And I, I think... Their success, to me, we're we're starting to see a couple more groups emerge. They're taking some very similar tactics, um, so I think they're starting to set a bit of a standard for an alternate way to be able to get financial gain in in this space without having to cause the business disruption and get all the attention that some of these, you know, some of the other bigger, some of the big game hunters we've seen earlier in the year.
1: Thanks to Accenture Securities Robert Boyce for joining us. The research is titled Karakurt Rises from Its Lair. We'll have a link in the show notes. Hey, everybody. want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor, Splunk. You know, you need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast – so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com/resilience. The Cyberwire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Filecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner.